pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I was listening to a podcast uh, with Allie one day, and she opened up this idea to me that this could be a really important, I won't say loophole, but kind of spot in why we might see so much uh, police violence against uh, just everyday civilians. So um, we're going to go to the phone line, bring in Marty Belsky, the current or the former dean of the University of Akron Law School and current professor at the University of Akron. Marty, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. Good. Glad to hear that and glad to have you on the show. We're going to talk about Pennsylvania versus MIMS today. And for those that don't know, Marty, I kind of want you to give them the case law on this so that they understand it. And then we'll start to kind of go into some different angles on it, if you're okay with that. Okay. But first, I have to do a mea culpa. Um, I was the chief of the motions division in the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office when this case came up. Okay. At a trial level. So I know a great deal about this case, probably too much. <laughs> That's the first caveat. The second caveat is I think we have to separate the law from how the law is applied. So let me tell you the situation here. This is a situation where a guy was driving a car, um, and he committed a traffic violation. And the police officer stopped the car and asked the guys in the car to step out of the car because they were in the street, and the police officer was concerned about injuries to him. And if you open the car door and standing there as well, so he asked the guy to come out. As the guy came out, the police officer testified that he saw a bulge uh, in the guy's uh, belt buckle, uh, you know, where the situation is. Uh, he then patted him down under the standard. I'll talk about that in a second. And then he found the gun, and the guy was then arrested for carrying a concealed deadly weapon. So it was a step-by-step process that led to the actual seizing of the weapon. And the question was whether or not the police officer had a right to ask him to come out of the car uh, during a routine traffic stop. And the Supreme Court said, yes, that is a reasonable thing to do. The police officer is concerned about his own safety. The police officer is also concerned about traffic. And the idea that if you stay there looking into someone's window or car, he could be injured or hurt. And the third thing is that the most serious kinds of violence occur to a police officer from inside of a car. So with all those three things, the Supreme Court decided in a 72 decision that the uh, police officer in this particular situation was right in doing this step-by-step procedure. So, now, that's the law. The idea is you can have a step-by-step search where you start at one point, you move to a second point, you move to a third point, and then you have an arrest. That's pretty clear law. The concern that people are raising is that this can be used as an excuse that a police officer you know, can stop someone for DWB, for those of you who don't know what DWB is, it's driving while black, and that as a result of that, stopping a person for that scenario, they can then create a criminal incident which would not occur otherwise. Um, and they point to the, all the videos of individuals and police officers who stop someone and then how things escalate. But I want people to separate out, you know, good police work from bad police work. Good police work is a step-by-step process. Bad police work is misusing that process to injure people. At the time, didn't 
Justice Thurgood Marshall actually have a dissenting opinion about this? Was his yeah, something he, similar to what people... Wor- yeah, he was worried that this would be uh, a stepping stone to improper behavior. Uh, and, you know, that it is often misused. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually called the pace up and it says, in the instant case, the officer did not even have the slightest hint when he ordered the individual out of the car uh, that the individual might have a gun. Okay? And the majority says, yeah, that's true. That's not incorrect. But that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not when there's routine stuff, you can ask someone to get out of the car. But he did... He was concerned about a case called Terry versus Ohio. Let me sort of give a little law here. Uh, Terry versus Ohio says when you do a frisk of someone, you don't need to have probable cause. All you need is to have a good or reasonable suspicion to pat someone down. And Thurgood Marshall has always been, and still is, being I mean, rest in peace, in his entire career, concerned of the possibility of abuse of that standard. Uh, and so that's his basic concern. And again, Justice Stevens and Brennan read their own separate opinions, okay? And uh, their concern here was a little bit different. Their concern here was that in this particular case, the guy had already served his time, so why was the court reaching out to decide this case? Uh, They were concerned that this court was giving a carte blanche to the police across the country to use the MEMS case as a vehicle for inappropriate stops. But again, I'm biased here. I don't deny my bias. I'm biased here. I think good police work was done in this case. How that can be misused, however, is a completely different issue. Do you think, Marty, in, in your honest opinion, and, and I know as you said you're biased, you, you worked on this case back in the day as Marty Belsky is my guest, uh, former dean of the University of Akron Law School, current professor. Do you think this has led to there being a loophole, times where officers do act out of line? There's no question. Again, um, again, I, this is my bias. Again, I, I think you can't castigate an entire group of people like police officers. But there are bad cops, just like there are bad prosecutors. There are bad cops and bad prosecutors. And those individuals, you know, have to be dealt with. And one of the concerns that I'm sure you've heard your, your, your audience talk about is that because the FOP is so strongly in support of police, it's very, very hard to actually go after police officers. When I was chief prosecutor in Philadelphia, I had numerous arrests for police for violent crimes. I didn't get a single conviction, not one. Um, and that was over six years. And um, because it's very hard to com- you know, convict a police officer. It's even harder to get through the initial process, which is to get around the police union, because the police union, that's their job, is to protect police officers. And because they protect police officers, Sometimes you have a district attorney or a state attorney general or sometimes just a local uh, civil rights organization sort of reluctant to actually bring charges. Um, Again, when we deal with inappropriate police behavior, I think it's important to go after inappropriate police behavior. Um, And I think it's it's appropriate to go after inappropriate prosecutorial behavior and inappropriate lawyer behavior and inappropriate doctor behavior. And I think it's a special problem here because of the mindset of, you know, uh, that you don't, you know, speak on your brother. But that's true in every profession. I mean, doctors and lawyers and engineers and, you know, you know, even when you're a kid, you know, you don't tattle. 
But we have to overcome that when it comes to somebody who's on the street dealing with citizens every single day. So in Mims' case, yeah, it can be misused, but any case can be misused. Um, could, I, many officers use the Mims case as a way, in a proper way, that they stop someone on a highway, okay? They're worried about that individual, doesn't let's say, at a broken taillight, that person's turn signal doesn't go off, that person's speeding. They stop the person on the highway. They ask that person to pull over. Then they have two options. One, they can go to the window of the individual, which, you know, most people stay in the car and come to the window. And then they can sort of ask that person for the license, you know, and uh, owner's card. And so they do, they do that. Or if they're worried about their own safety or worried about the safety of the individuals driving on a highway, they can ask that person to come out and go to a safe location, which is what happened in, in the men's case. Um, so, I mean, yes, it can be used. But any, I mean, any case, any precedent can be misused by people uh, for the wrong reasons. I don't deny that. But I do think that we can't castigate an entire process because of inappropriate use of that process. And again, I'm biased as a former prosecutor. It's certainly an interesting topic because it does have a, a, a great place in, in society to be a discussion right now with all of the police violence that we've seen in the last year. And, and I don't know if there are plans by anyone to try to do anything with this case, but uh, I, I know that there are people that are starting to talk about it and at least again, bring it again, up. John, I mean, it seems to me the real issue here is going after inappropriate behavior by police officers. That's the issue, okay? And when you have inappropriate behavior by a police officer, we should go after those people. We should prosecute those people. And we should train police officers two things. One, you can't do bad things. But second, you will get caught. You will get caught if you act inappropriately. So when they talk about ramping up the idea of diversity training of police officers, I 100% agree with that. But you also have to call, you know, to train people about what I call preventive law enforcement. But sometimes in this particular situation, you should not do X, Y, and Z. I mean, the famous case is if someone's running away because of a misdemeanor, you don't go after that person and start shooting at them. I mean, that's one of the cases, as we all know. You know, that is inappropriate behavior. So you have to teach police officers not just about diversity, but preventive behavior. That sometimes you have to do a cost-benefit analysis of injury to an individual as compared to the nature of the con. There are people who now want to take away the idea of police officers arresting for misdemeanors, for, to have a completely different set of people arresting for traffic offenses. You know, we, years ago, police officers were the ones who handed tickets for parking meters. We now have meter maids, whatever they're called, of individuals who sort of do that. And so the idea is what should be the scope of a police officer's activities? These, I mean, this, I still truly, truly believe that we have to really seriously do something about training police officers in inappropriate behavior and also letting them know that they're going to get caught if they misbehave. Marty Belsky, former dean of the University of Akron Law School, current professor. I always appreciate the time, sir, and uh, look forward to doing this again soon. Okay, take care. Sorry, you know, again, I have to say, you know, this is, you know, I am coming from someone who was a prosecutor and also a civil libertarian. So I have very mixed feelings on these two things. Oh, no, no, no. You you didn't upset at all. I, I'm I'm I, I'm always fascinated listening to case law when you present it. So I and I and I hope my listeners are too. But I always love when you go and and you dive deep into it. So I thank you for everything that you did today. Okay. Take care. Thank have you. Have a very good much. one. Thanks, Marty.
Marty Belsky calling in. Always great to hear from him. Um, and and you know what? He always has a way of outlining things, and everything he said makes a ton of sense. Um, and and I guess that's the thing that everyone has to try to find. Everyone has to try to push to find those answers for that because it's not easy when it comes to uh, training police officers and, and holding police officers accountable. That's really what it comes down to, and I don't know uh, what we do to make that possible and make that a, a commonplace thing, but I know that there are people working on it day in and day out at the state and national level. 